Amen, church. Could you give it up for the choir? Hey, stay here for a second. Hey, before we, before we move forward into this service, can I just take a moment and just give some flowers out to uh, Rachel, Pastor Ariel, the choir, Pastor Jason, Miss Jessica, who directed the choir and spent months working with our children. Look at her crying her eyes out. Come on. Thank you, guys. Honestly, I know it's been months worth of work. Thank you. Those in the seats who are in the choir, thank you so much. You guys can go ahead. You've done more than enough. Thank you so much. While we're on the note of, of giving out some flowers, let me just one more. Uh, if you walked in, you might have noticed our foyer looks a little different. There's been some upgrades, and uh, this is something that's been in the works. A precious sister in the Lord uh, passed away last year, Angie, and... She was, I think, 95, Brother Gary, when she passed away, close to 95, uh, and was at this church as a young girl. And so in her will, she left 4% of her estate to Belmont. And so we've used those funds, or some of those funds, to renovate the foyer. And so it's not totally done. There's going to be a portion on the side that's dedicated to Angie herself. That's going to be our missions corner. She had a heart for missions, and so we want to take time and dedicate that as well. But uh, the team worked really, really hard to get everything done just before Christmas. Christmas. So again, I want to give kudos to Mylene. Uh, where's Mylene at? Where Mylene over there who runs our adorn team and designed everything in there. Carlos Vargas. I don't even know if he's here or working or both. Carlos Vargas in the back whose team put everything together and the construction work. Even my boy Jesse couldn't in there put my TVs in for me. Um, I'm just grateful for the church, man. When we get together, there's nothing we can't do. And so I'm so excited because, man, I just, I absolutely love Christmas. It's contrary to what people have told me. You're like, I love Thanksgiving too, but it doesn't mean I don't love Christmas. Christmas is a great, great opportunity for us to remember why we're here in the first place, why we get to be the church. And uh, a little bit earlier, uh, we had some scripture reading from Pastor Carlos and from Emily. I'd love for us to go back to that because that's going to set up what I think the Lord wants to communicate to us this morning. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read again verse 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 through 11. Listen to what the word of the Lord says. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called the meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. O you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you and will be the shepherd for my people. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. After this, the interview, I'm sorry, after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child and his mother, Mary, and bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I've been doing some research myself on, on this star. 
What a miraculous sign that this was. And it's interesting because there's some debate over what exactly they saw. There, there are some who think it was a star. There are others who have to, they follow the astronomical aspects of it. They're like, no, probably wasn't a star. Stars don't move the way it's described in that. And so it could have been a shooting star, some might think. And they're like, no, a shooting star wouldn't have, again, acted the way the scriptures uh, explain. And so uh, there's a few different theories. One of the more popular ones is it was kind of a combination of things, an alignment of Jupiter and Venus and star that made it cause brighter and moves and rises and sets the way that they talked about. But with all the debate over what it was, here's the reality. They said, if this is true, if what scriptures say is accurate, then no doubt it was a miraculous sign. It was a miraculous sign that many saw. And this is what I love about being a star is that it was visible to everybody. Everybody could see this star and yet everybody responded differently to it, even in what we just read. The star is in the sky and, and everyone sees the same star pointing to the same place, but have very different responses to what that star is pointing to and what it means for them in their lives. And that's what I feel happens with us as well. I think God is still pointing us to Jesus and we all get similar signs and similar viewpoints that point us to the same person in Jesus. And yet many of us have different responses when we acknowledge that sign. And so there's a few things that I want to chime in on and look at some of the responses that we saw in the scripture. The first one is I want you to notice King Herod's response. King Herod's response was a response of fear. Again, let me give you a little bit of background on Herod. Herod is an appointed ruler over the Israelites under Roman rule. It's a very political position that he's in. And so he's got to appease his Roman dictators, but he's also got to manage somehow the Israelites. And for all intents and purposes, from a political standpoint, Herod was a pretty decent king. Uh, as far as infrastructure, as far as uh, buildings and, and things that he established. I mean, there's a lot of good things he did. But on the other end, he was a terrible human being. He was a very jealous, insecure leader, so much so that he even killed members of his own family who he felt were threatening his reign. And so there was a lot of aspects of Herod, not mentioning the fact that he was not a man of God in any way, shape, or form, that were very distasteful about him. And so Herod is kind of doing his thing, trying to hold control, killing his own family members. And all of a sudden, these, these magi, these wise men come from this far land and they say, hey, listen, we saw the sign that pointed to the king of the Jews. Can you tell us where he is? Now, I imagine from the wise men's perspective, they're like, hey, you're, you're a king here among the Jews, so you would surely be excited and would know about where this kid is and you could point us the way. But the truth is, the Bible tells us King Herod was gripped with fear, as were many of the people in Jerusalem, which, by the way, it's not like three guys showed up at his door. We kind of limit the three guys or three wise men to three, like even like we did in our production, because there were three gifts. But chances are this was a caravan. This was a multitude of people that have shown up knocking on the door saying, hey, we've come to see your king. It reminds me a little bit of a small tangent, but one of my favorite Great Chicago Fire stories is after the Great Chicago Fire, uh, France donated thousands of books to replenish the library that burned down during the Great Chicago Fire. What France didn't know is we never had a public library before the Great Chicago Fire. 
So, so you can imagine Chicago, like, oh yeah, the, the library, the kids, they'll love this. Thank you for, and I almost feel like Herod has the same response. So they're like, hey, we've come to see the king of the Jews. He's like, yeah, the king of the Jews. Sure, let, give me one minute, I'll get him for you. Like, you can tell he's thrown off by this. And so why is he so gripped with fear? Because this Jesus is a threat. It's a threat to his power. It's a threat to his authority. It's a threat to his status among the people. And you know what, if we're honest, many of us struggle with accepting Jesus and being committed to a relationship with Christ because he's a threat to you. He's a threat to your power. He's a threat to your authority. He's a threat to your status in life. See, the problem is many times around Christmas we celebrate this savior that was born. But don't forget that he's also king. He's also Lord. So to accept him as savior means that you also accept him as Lord, meaning you no longer dictate your life, he does. And I think a lot of people are willing to say yes to a savior, but the minute you start describing all the other things, like, whoa, 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 I still wanna govern my own life. I still wanna do what I wanna do. I wanna act how I wanna act. I wanna go where I wanna go. I don't want anybody telling me how to live my life. And so how about you just get me to heaven and let me worry about my life right now? I don't think we always verbalize that, but that's absolutely what we do in action. We might show up at church once or twice a year. We might come around when our spouses, or our relatives, or our family members want us to. We might even think in ourselves we got something with God. But until you surrender your life, he is not the Lord of your life. If he's not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. It's gotta be one and all, right? And so listen to what Matthew says in verse 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said this to his disciples. If any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Herod was gripped with fear over the birth of a baby. A baby caused him to have so much fear that he declared throughout the entire land that any child two years and younger that was a male boy must be killed. Why? Because when you fear losing power, you do everything you can to gain it. And that sounds kind of villainish, but let me explain how I mean in our terms. When we refuse to surrender to Jesus, we do whatever we can to hold on to power, even if that means self-destruction. We hold on to drug habits, even though we know it's not good for us, but at least I get to choose. We hold on to other types of addiction. We hold on to other sinful behaviors. We hold on to things that we don't even like, that we don't even want to be like. And yet, it's the fact about losing control that freaks so many of us out because we think we got this. Can I just give you a little secret? You're never in control, ever. You don't have control over your own life. You can't make your heart beat. You can't even control blinking. Like you really have no control over your life. You might think you have, you might think when you're driving on the road, you got control of your car. Maybe, but you don't have control of everybody else's car. You don't have control. You think, listen, I, I got control of my life. I got to choose what seat I'm out of the airplane. You don't get to choose whether that airplane falls or crashes. 
You don't get, and again, I'm not trying to freak everybody out like, oh, I'm not traveling now. <laughs> I'm not saying all that. But think about it genuinely. How many times have people thought, well, I'm in control, and then the stock market crashes, and everything that you thought gave you control is gone. I'm in control, and then your family starts falling apart. I'm in control, and then you get that medical diagnosis. The truth is, you have never been or ever will be in control. So, if that's the reality of my life, I would rather than give authority, give control to the one who's in control of everything. I'd rather say, Jesus, I can't handle this on my own. Anyway, I have tried, so I'm gonna trust in you. And I'm gonna let you guide my life because the only person who loves me more than me is you. We gotta learn, we gotta understand that you're gonna make a choice. There's a lot of people that say, well, I don't, I don't choose God or the devil, I choose the middle. The middle belongs to the devil. There is no middle ground that you're in control of. And so Herod here is struggling. Herod is freaking out because he's about to lose control. And by the way, he does eventually. But then there's, to me, there's an even more grievous response. Because I understand Herod's perspective. Herod's not really a believer. Herod's not a good Jew. Herod's not necessarily the epitome of what you're looking for as a role model. So I kind of get him. Who I don't get are the scribes the teachers of religious law, their response. Because while Herod was in fear, the teachers of religious law were indifferent. I think indifferent is, is worse than anything else. Like if you hated me, at least you're still thinking about me. <laughs> like there's an emotion about me. Right? I was like, oh, you hate me. I still, I'm, I'm living rent free in your head. Like there's still connection. But if you're indifferent to me, that's cold. Like, you don't even care. Like, I, I don't exist here. That's what I try to tell, especially young people, when they have breakups, I'm like, listen, kick them out of your mind. Like, let, let them, your indifference will hurt everybody worse than anything else when you realize that they don't have control over you. But we look here at these teachers of religious law. These were uh, men who had studied the, the Old Testament, the scriptures, who knew it, who when asked by Herod, what is the sign? They were able to tell him right away. The scriptures tell us that he is going to be born in Bethlehem. Like they, they lock it all down. They explain they have the right answer, but they have the wrong personal response. Why do I say that? Because Bethlehem was about five or six miles away from where they were. So walk this line of thought with me. Herod comes, he goes, hey, they're telling me this king of the Jews is born, the Messiah is here. Where is he supposed to be born? We got you, Herod. He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. All right, cool. Shouldn't we maybe go to Bethlehem, guys? It's about five miles away. Just to give you perspective, that's O'Hare. From here to O'Hare. If I told you, hey, Jesus Christ has come for a second time, he's at O'Hare, and you're like, eh. <laughs> You know, I got a lot going on this week if I get freed up, and uh, well, maybe I'll think about it. Here are these people who apparently are experts at the word of God, are ignoring the word of God. They're ignoring the one who came to set them free. They've been waiting for 400 years for scripture to be confirmed, and when it's finally confirmed by what the wise men say, they don't even bother to go see for themselves. You know what I think is worse than hating God is saying you love him and yet being indifferent towards him. Matthew chapter seven, verse 21 and 23. 
says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. This is interesting to me because I see this often. We don't always fully understand that just because you think you believe in God and just because you even say you love God doesn't mean you do because actions are louder than words. If I told my spouse I love her but was abusive to her, that's not love. If I told my spouse I loved her but was with somebody else and that would never, that's a made up scenario, babe, it's not true. She's sick at home, but she's got enough strength to do something. It was a made-up scenario. (laughs) Hypothetical. But again, that would not be love, would it? I can't just say these things. I have to do things that show that I love. And again, we don't prove our love to God. Our proof of love is to us. To us understanding, do you really love me? Then how come I don't know you? Because a love for God develops into an intimacy with God, a relationship with God, not a once in a while popping in and out of church, not once in a while opening up your Bible, not looking up a YouTube video every now and then because you had a curious question, but an in-depth pursuit of deep, deep relationship with the one who came down to earth to have a relationship with you. That is what it means to know Jesus. Because the problem is a lot of us know Jesus, but we don't know Jesus, right? That's like, like I know a lot of athletes. I don't know them personally. I can tell you their stats. I can tell you their height, their weight. I can tell you their, what they did last year. I can tell you even what their contract is. But I can't tell you what they fear in secret. I can't tell you what their grandparents' names. I just don't know the intimate things that come from only having a relationship with the individual. See, you might know the name Jesus, but do you know the person? Do you have a relationship with him? I don't think the five miles is what was too far for these teachers. I think it was the 18 inches that was too far for them. See, five miles was Jerusalem to Bethlehem. 18 inches was head to the heart. They know God, know all the scriptures, know exactly who he is, what he's supposed to be like, how he acts. From a theological standpoint, they know God. From a personal standpoint, it never made the distance. See, some of you in this room, you know God, but you never took a chance to really know God. This is where the change happens. This, plenty of people who know about God, but when you know God in an intimate and real way, Life changes, not because you even have to. Just let me explain that, because going back to the control thing, well, if I get to know God, then suddenly I gotta stop doing this and this and that. No, no, no. Let me tell you something. When you get to know God, the desires of your heart change. And, And that's no different than anything, right? Like, I'm 38 years old, married with three kids. I don't have the same desires I had when I was 16. The relationships in my life have transformed the desires of my life. And so now, when I accepted Jesus, my desires became in alignment with his desires. Why? Because he's the greatest love of my life. And so if this is what my Lord desires, then that's what I desire. And if this is what my Lord doesn't desire for my life, then I don't want that for my life. So it's not an obligation, and yet it becomes a privilege. Because my entire goal is not to please you, but to please him. 
and to have the deepest, most profound relationship I could possibly have with the living God. So you got Herod, and then you got these teachers and these apparent scribes of the word. But then notice this response. The wise men had a very different response because their response was one of joy. I think it's very interesting that out of all of them, it was the wise men because the wise men were not religious, at least not that we know of. They were not Jews. They they didn't have a connection. They weren't waiting 400 years for a sign from the Lord. They didn't have the Old Testament to guide them and walk them through things. There was really no obligation for them to have any kind of encounter with Jesus. And by the way, they walked way more than five miles to get to him. And yet they put all this effort because they recognized the sign. The important thing I think to pick up is that the wise men had the exact opposite response as Herod and the teachers. They didn't fear losing title, power, or position. Quite the opposite. When they saw Jesus, they bowed before him, and they worshiped him, and they presented him with gifts. (laughs) They weren't insecure about what he might take from them. They were overjoyed to be able to give to him. When you see the, the teachers, right, who were indifferent, same thing, they saw the star and felt nothing. These foreigners, Gentile scientists, not religious men at all, again, as far as we know, yet they were compelled when they saw this phenomenon in the sky, this sign, this star, to travel from a far distance in order to see the newborn king. And by the way, newborn is a loose term because again, we just, you gotta shift our mind a little bit. The shepherds came about the newborn time But the wise men, they showed up at least, I don't know, six to 18 months later. So, you know, Jesus was almost, he was pretty much a toddler by the time they showed up. And why? Because they came from the east. It was, it was, it's not like they got in a car and like, let's go see Jesus. They they had to pack the camels. They had to load up a caravan. They had to get the resources. Like it took significant effort for them to gather everything, to leave their jobs and their caretaking and everything they had, to gather a caravan, to gather resources, to gather money, to go on this trip to possibly maybe see the king of the Jews. Why? Something about what they saw compelled them. Here's the reality. Fancy words will never compel you. Great music is never going to compel you. Brand new foyer will never compel you. It is only by God's spirit when he opens your eyes to see the reality of your life and what you need that you will be drawn and no one will ever have to force you to do that. This is why we've been praying for you. I don't even know your name and I can tell you I have been praying for you Not that you would enjoy this service, although I hope you do, but I pray that your eyes would be open the same way the wise men's eyes were open. That yes, they were wise in science and and all the things that they practice, but they were also smart enough to know there's something about this Jesus that I have to see for myself. Listen, Luke chapter two, verse eight through 11, going back to the shepherds says that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep suddenly an angel of the lord appeared among them and radiance of the lord's glory surrounded them they were terrified but the angel reassured them 
Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. <laughs> Whether it's <clears throat> lowly shepherds or esteemed wise men, the response to an encounter with Jesus is the same. Unimaginable joy. Unimaginable joy when they experience. I just love the, pink, the picture that scripture paints. They, they've traveled this whole way. They, they talk to Herod and he even tries to, to maneuver them and manipulate them into doing something different. And yet they still arrive at their destination and they get there and Mary is with Jesus. And as soon as they see him, no words are spoken. Mary doesn't declare his glory and his goodness and say, this is the, Gabriel came and he spoke to me. She didn't convince anybody. They saw him and that was enough. They saw him and the immediate response was to fall on their knees and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because when you see him, and again, I'm not talking about just with your physical eyes. I'm talking about when the eyes of your heart have been opened to the realities of who Jesus is and how deeply, widely he loves you. It's the only response that's ever able to come out. We describe it in different ways. I felt a warm feeling or I, was, I was got over emotional. You got all these different responses, but it all boils down to the same thing. The joy of the Lord begins to overwhelm. Pastor Jason, if you can help me out. Christian, let me ask you something. Believers in this room. Can you do me a favor? Just close your eyes for a moment. I want you to look back. I want you to look back to that first time you said yes. I want you to look back to the joy of your salvation. You remember that moment? Might have been in a church. Might have been alone in your room. Might have been in your car. Might have been on a bus. Can you go back to that moment? where you were confronted with the reality of who Jesus is and what he wants for your life. I want you to go back to that feeling. What did you feel? What did you sense? What did you realize? I want you to remember how special that was for you. Because that was the moment your life changed forever. Sure, there might have been some ups and downs afterward. There might have been some even moments where you walked away and came back. But that was a pivotal moment, a transformative moment where everything changed. Where now your children don't have to experience the same things you had to experience. Where your grandchildren now are singing on this platform because the trajectory of your life changed and that meant the trajectory of their life changed. Where your marriage became better and stronger because you realize what it means to really love. See, the reality of salvation is that it just doesn't change you. It changes everything. Over 2,000 years ago, the world was shaken when the star pointed to the birth of a savior. Some responded in fear. Others with indifference, while others rejoiced. 
The question I have this morning is to those of you who don't have the memory that I've just been describing, who can't recollect the moment where you said yes to Jesus and everything changed. Talking to the people in this room who maybe the whole idea of church and God and Jesus scares you. And again, I'm not saying you're a villain like Herod. I'm not saying it scares you because all you want is ultimate power. It scares you because it's scary to let go and to trust and have faith in something you don't see tangibly. I get that. But isn't it just as scary trying to navigate this on your own? For some of you, you might even be indifferent. You might have grown up in church, you know all about this God thing. You might have even served God and done some things for God. But truth be told, you're right in the middle, you're lukewarm. Could you do better? Yeah. Do you want to? No. You're happy just being right in the middle. You know, scripture tells us in Revelation that God says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, lukewarm, I spit out of my mouth. What is he saying? At least if you're cold, I know where you stand. And if you're hot, I know where you stand. But that middle temperature, you don't even know where you stand. And like I said earlier, the middle defaults to the cold. This morning, we looked at Herod's response we looked at their response, the teacher's response. My question is, how will you respond? Because here's the truth, those of you who haven't made that decision. You also were led here this morning. It may not have been a star. Could have been a family member. Could have been your grandkids who were on the stage. Your neighbors, co-workers, some friends. You might even just have caught us online and were intrigued enough to show up. But here's the real bottom line. At the end of the day, I believe with all my heart that it was the Lord that has brought you in this place at this time for this moment. And you may not even understand that, but listen. In the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16 and 21. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. This morning, I've come to give you a choice. You can either choose to allow fear or indifference to prevent you from receiving what you need, to stay indifferent about your relationship with Jesus and leave here exactly how you walked in, or you have a choice to experience joy 
like you've never experienced before. So I'm going to ask you to stand, church, if you please. And all across this room, I'm going to ask you for just a couple minutes, would you just bow your head, close your eyes, I just want you to hear my voice for a second. We've worked on months to put this small presentation together for this singular moment to give you an opportunity to make a choice. And I just want to remind you that it is a choice so that at the end of all of this, I've officially ruined any excuse you have the moment you stand before God. You're not going to be able to say, well, I didn't know or I wasn't sure. I didn't really believe. Because today God has sent the word to you and called you unto him. So excuses are out the window. The choice is yours. And you're not choosing to join this church. And I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying, do you choose to take the journey that these wise men took to encounter and experience Jesus Christ and begin a journey of relationship that will transform you for eternity? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, if as I've been talking, you felt something just pulling at you, even maybe before today, there's just been something pulling at you. I want you to know that's God calling you unto him. All I need you to do, the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, you are saved. So I want to pray that with those in this room who want that. All I need you to do is signal me real quick by lifting up your hand and you will be included in that prayer. Is there anyone here who says, Pastor, I want to give my life to the Lord. Thank you, brother. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. Come on, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes here because it's the most important decision of your life. Thank you, guys, in the back. I see you. Anyone else says, that's me, Pastor. Even if you've walked away, now's your chance to come back. Now's your chance to come back. You've been hearing this for a while now. Now's your chance to make a choice. Just give you one more minute if that's you. Amen. Here's what I'd like to do. Keep your heads bowed for a moment because this is just one more personal step. I know this is a scary moment, but I'm going to ask you, if you raised your hand, would you join me up here so that I can pray personally with you? If you raise your hand, would you just come out of your seats? If you want to bring the person who brought you, that's fine. They can come with you. Would you join me up here, please? I just want to meet you. I just want to see you. I want to look in your eye. I want to pray with you. I want to love on you. Come on, church. Would you encourage them? Come on, church. Keep going. Keep going. They're walking up. greatest gift you'll ever have it's the greatest gift I get this weekend the honor and the privilege to walk you through the most important decision of your life and I just want you to know this is a decision it's the first of many tomorrow you're going to wake up you're going to have to make this decision again 
because I promise you, all hell is going to break loose to try to pull you away. But God is strong enough to keep you. God is strong enough to hold you. The Bible says that nothing can rip you out of his palm. That once you've said this moment and you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you are saved. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to become perfect overnight. You just got to learn to love the one who loved you first. And that's the best part of all of this. So church, I'm going to ask you, would you extend your hand towards our new brothers and sisters in Christ? And I want you, church, would you join us? There's nothing magical in the words. I just want you to repeat after me. Again, the faith is in your heart. But church, would you repeat after me? Say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. And I believe that I am a sinner in need of a savior. So I surrender, God, all my life to you. I ask you, come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I commit myself now and forever to you and you alone. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, guys. Would you give a hand clap of praise? Amen. Now listen, before you go, I say, I say this often, it's important for me to, to communicate this. This is the beginning of a journey, not the end of a journey. Okay, this is the beginning. And so I, I always use the example, this is like saying yes in, in, a, in a wedding vow. You know, I said yes to my wife when we got married, but if I said yes and then never talked to her ever again, it's a pretty bad marriage. <laughs> so did I know what it meant to be a husband the moment I said yes? I had no clue. I thought I did, and then I got married. <laughs> You know what I've discovered? The greatest joy of my marriage is learning how to love my wife and learning how to receive her love. And every day I try to be a better husband. And so now that you have a relationship with Jesus, and that is a fact, you're not earning it, you got it. It is sealed with the Holy Spirit in your heart. Now the fun is learning how to love the one who loved you first. And so we want to encourage you. We got Bible. You, we got some packets that are going to give you some next step information. Pastor Ariel over here will guide you through all of that stuff. We have our connection center. Literally, you're the first ones that we just built it. It's just for you. But can I just say before we go, the joy, the joy that I have, and you make this decision, it means the world to me. Because this is why we do everything. This is why we paint everything. This is why we sing these songs. So that you can have a chance to experience what so many of us in this room have gotten to experience. My heart is full. Church, is your heart full this morning? Amen. Pastor Ariel, if you would go. Here's how I'm going to dismiss church before you go. I'm going to ask you guys, if you made that prayer, would you simply follow Pastor Ariel out to our Connection Center? She's the, the lady right there with the blonde hair. If you would just do me a favor and follow her out. If you want your friends to join you, that's great. But we just want to get a Bible in your hand. We want to get you that information. Church, before you dismiss, can you just give them a few minutes? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise as they walk out.
house this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me just talk to the rest of the believers as we get ready to dismiss. It doesn't just happen on Christmas, right? But I want to encourage you as you celebrate our Lord's birthday, as you take time with your family and your opening presents. Listen, I, I get it, man. We work really hard at giving people gifts to show them we love them. But what kind of gift can we give the one who's given it all to us? What can we possibly give to the Lord who has everything? I'll tell you what it is. We give others an opportunity to experience what we've gotten to experience. We share our testimonies. We disciple. We encourage people to come to church. We walk with them in life. We pass along the greatest gift that's been given to us. That's why I was so emotional, not just because of that moment. But we live for this. We live for this as believers, as sons and daughters of the Most High, to go into the world, seek and save that which is lost. Amen? So I want to encourage you, be all that God has called you to be and do all that God has called you to do. I love you, church. God bless you. And have a very, very Merry Christmas. You're dismissed.